Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is doc- Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Greger is a physician, author, and internationally recognized speaker on nutrition and public health. He runs the website nutritionfacts.org, a nonprofit science-based public service providing daily videos and articles on the latest nutrition research, and he also serves as a director of public health and animal agriculture at the Humane Society of the United States. Dr. Greger is here today to talk about his New York Times bestselling book, How Not to Die, where he discusses 15 of the leading causes of premature death, which foods to eat or avoid, and which lifestyle changes to make to prevent these conditions and live longer. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Michael Greger. So happy to be here. Well, let's start with how you opened the book, How Not to Die. You talk about the story of your grandmother who was sent home to die at 65 years old. Tell us what you you discovered uh, and how that um, changed your life. Yeah, I was uh, I was just a kid when the doctor sent my grandma home in a wheelchair to die. She was uh, diagnosed with end-stage heart disease. She already did so many bypass operations. At some point, it just so, gets so scarred up inside, there's nothing more you can do. Um, so confined in a wheelchair, crushing chest pain, uh, you know, her life was over at age 65. But I heard about this guy, Nathan Pritikin, one of our early lifestyle medicine pioneers, and... Uh, um, became one of his early success stories. He's actually featured in Pritikin's biography. It talks about Frances Greger, my grandmother. Um, uh, they uh, wheeled her in, and uh, she walked out. Within a few weeks, she was walking 10 miles a day, went on to live another 31 years, till age 96, to continue to enjoy her six grandkids, including me. Um, and so that's uh, why I went to medical school, and that's why the reason I practice the type of medicine I practice today, lifestyle medicine. So, so you say on How Not to Die that our diet is the number one cause of premature death and disability, and yet only 25% of medical schools offer even one course in nutrition. And you also cite a study that found that doctors didn't know more basic nutrition than random people interviewed on the street, and that 80% of graduating doctors are inadequately trained to counsel patients in diet or feel that they're inadequately trained, I'm sorry. Um, So uh, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on why there's this sense of recalcitrance around um, engaging with diet as part of a treatment or prevention of disease within conventional medicine. Yeah, so according to the Global Burden of Disease Study, this is the largest study on human risk factors for disease and disability and death in human history, funded by the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, involving about uh, 500 researchers at dozens of institutions around the world. They have uh, got together and determined that the number one cause of death in the United States is the American diet. The number one cause of disability in terms of the number of years of healthy life lost was our diet. Uh, cigarettes have now, kind of tobacco got bumped to number two. Cigarettes now only kill about a half million Americans every year, whereas our diet kills hundreds of thousands of more. And most deaths in the United States are preventable related to nutrition. Then obviously, nutrition is the number one thing taught in medical school, right? I mean, obviously, it's the number one thing your doctor talks to you about at every single visit, right? So how could there be this disconnect? between the science and the practice of medicine. Well, you know, doctors have a severe nutrition deficiency 
in education. Most doctors were just never taught about the impact health and nutrition can have on the course of illness. And uh, so they graduate without this powerful tool in their medical toolbox. There's also institutional barriers such as time constraints, lack of reimbursement. In general, doctors simply aren't paid for counseling people on how to take better care of themselves. Uh, of course, the drug companies also play a role in influencing medical education and practice. You, know, you can you know, ask your doctor when's the last time they were taken out to dinner by Big Broccoli. Uh, it's probably been a while. So you, you talk about the bill that was introduced in the California legislature that would require medical doctors to have 12 hours of nutrition training. Can you talk about why you think the California Medical Association came out and campaigned against this bill that would have required 12 hours of nutrition training and I think ended up defeating it? In fact, seven hours over years. It wasn't even seven hours a year. Um, uh, and indeed, it, uh, it went down the feet. And so with that suggests it's not just ignorance, that there's actually this active, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the actively working against incorporating more nutrition into postgraduate medical education. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, so, you know, the California Medical Association, even the American, uh, even the, the, the family physicians group came out against it, the surgeons group, all the mainstream medical groups with the exception of, uh, of the, uh, the, the, the lifestyle medicine group, um, uh, came out opposed. And it's, it, they actually, these are public, you know, these are public meetings, and so it's actually um, uh, videotaped. And so I have some clips on nutrition facts actually describes, I mean, how could the California Medical Association with a straight face get up and say, you know, doctors don't need more information on nutrition, and it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it would be so funny if it wasn't so sad. It's still funny. And so that's the, the representative from the California Medical Association um, sitting there addressing the uh, legislator saying, you know what? We don't need, you know, we doctors don't need more medical education. Look, you pick up a can of Coke, there it is, all the nutrition facts right on the label. Like, like, like what do we need? You know, it was just unbelievable, which, again, really states maybe really fundamental ignorance as to, uh, you know, as to the, the role um, healthy eating and living plays. And basically, I think it's, it's like smoking in the 50s. I mean, back in the 50s. We had already had decades of science linking smoking with lung cancer, but it was ignored because smoking was normal. Most doctors smoked. The average per capita cigarette consumption, 4,000 cigarettes a year, meaning the average person walking around smoked a half pack a day on average. The American Medical Association was reassuring that everyone that you know, smoking in moderation was a-okay. So there was this disconnect between what the science was saying and public policy. So the, so the first part of your book, Dr. Greger, are how not to die chapters. We have how not to die from heart disease, how not to die from digestive cancers, how not to die from suicidal depression, from prostate cancer, from brain diseases. And obviously we can't go through all of them today, but I was hoping we could go through one of them today as sort of an example of what you provide in, in the book, How Not to Die. So if we, if we took high blood pressure as an example, the number one risk factor for death in the world is high blood pressure. And a lot of people don't know that it, uh, it, 
it, it increases our risk not just for cardiovascular disease, but also for kidney failure um, and for uh, uh, aneurysms. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you would walk us through a How Not to Die program for high blood pressure? Yeah, so 78 million Americans affected. That's about one in three adults. And as we age, our pressures get higher and higher, such that by age 60, most of us, the majority, 65% of Americans over age 60 have high blood pressure. If you say, wait a second, if most of us have hypertension when we get older, maybe it's less a disease and more just kind of a natural, inevitable consequence of aging. Well, no. We've known since the 1920s that high blood pressure need not occur. So there are populations, for example, rural Africa, rural China, where uh, the pressures don't go up as people age, uh, stay at about 110 over 70 their entire lives, um, and, uh, and which is probably the ideal blood pressure, the no benefit from reducing it further blood pressure. Um, and uh, what they shared in common, um, uh, these are vastly different diets, but they were... Um, eating uh, no-salt-added plant-based diets with meat only eaten on special occasions. And you say, well, why do we think it's the plant-based nature of their diets are so protective? Because in the Western world, the only population that is found to have those kind of pressures on average um, were, um, uh, they were people eating strictly plant-based diets, this group of... Uh, of uh, strict vegetarians in Boston, where uh, Frank Sachs at Harvard um, first did original studies back um, decades ago. And so that suggests, oh, well, there's a the kind of a dietary approach. And so you say, well, wait a second. Um, so does the, you know, the American Heart Association come out and tell people to eat a meat-free diet, uh, kind of a no-meat diet? No, they recommend a low-meat diet, so-called DASH diet. You say, wait a second. I mean, when the DASH diet was being created, were they just not aware of that landmark research done at Harvard um, by uh, Dr. Sachs? Uh, no, they were aware. In fact, the chair of the design committee that came up with the DASH diet was Dr. Sachs. Um, and they're very explicit um, uh, in their publications at the time saying that what they did was they, um, uh, they, they, the motivation for the DASH diet was to capture the blood pressure and lowering benefits of a plant-based diet, but... Um, include enough animal products to make it palatable to the um, general population. You know, they didn't think the public could handle the truth. And you can see what they were thinking. I mean, look, just like drugs never work unless you actually take them, you know, diets never work at all unless you actually eat them. So, like, you know, look, how many people are going to go strictly plant-based? So if we kind of soft-pedal the message, come up with some kind of compromised diet, well, then on a population scale, maybe we'll do more good. Uh, okay, but I mean, tell that to the thousand American families a day that lose a loved one to high blood pressure. Maybe it's time to start telling the American public the truth. We have this interesting section in the high blood pressure section uh, about whole grains, where you say that uh, the this, there's the same benefit. Um, from adding whole grains into the diet as blood pressure medications in terms of lowering risk of strokes and heart attack. But you also talk about how refined grains actually increase our risk of strokes and heart attacks. And given how much uh, confusing marketing there is around what a whole grain is, what is a whole grain? And what would be the reasons to seek out whole grains, and and then how would you sort of parse out the going to the store and making sure you're not getting a refined grain by accident? Yeah, that's a great question. So the whole grains, kind of the standard, uh, is you know brown rice, whole wheat, um, but if you pick up uh, you know a loaf of bread. 
you know, they love, it'll say, has whole grains. In fact, you pick up some sugary, day and, you know, day-glow marshmallow cereal, it'll likely say whole grains on the cover because they, they realize that's such an important marketing ploy because we know how healthy they are for us. But you really have to look at the list of ingredients. you got to turn around, look at the back where they don't want you to be looking, um, and make sure that the first ingredient is 100% W-H-O-L-E. Actually, it's a legal definition. Um, uh, and so that so 100% whole rye, 100% whole oats, 100% whole wheat, 100% whatever. Um, but you want to make sure that's the first ingredient, and that uh, will tell you, well, at least the majority of the grains in the product are um, uh, are whole, even if the second is then you know something like durum wheat, which is just um, a kind of uh, their sneaky way of saying white flour. So white flour is refined, whole wheat is not. Uh, white pasta is refined, whole wheat pasta is not. Now there's a variety of uh, you know bean-based pastas like chickpea pasta and kidney bean pasta and all sorts of other things um, uh, that uh, that uh, often combine whole grains and legumes, which would be a great addition to one's diet. Um, uh, oatmeal is a whole grain, even instant oatmeal, um, which is basically just uh, kind of whole oats but just finely chopped almost into a powder just so it cooks quicker, but it's not like it has anything taken out of it. Um, and so um, that's what we're looking for. Nothing bad added, nothing good taken away. Quinoa, um, so it's called so-called pseudo-grain, another excellent choice, millet. In fact, if you go to kind of a, a good natural health food store and go to the bulk section, you will be, you know, you'll see dozens of different whole grains you may never have even heard of. And I encourage people to experiment around and find one that they can enjoy on a daily basis. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to Dr. Michael Greger about his book, How Not to Die. Um, so t- to continue in the in the chapter around high blood pressure, you you pick out some specific foods that you think are particularly good, and one are what you call nitrate rich vegetables. So what are nitrate rich vegetables, and why would we, if we are worried about blood pressure, want to eat them? And so, of course, we should all be worried about high blood pressure because, again, most of us will um, become hypertensive, have high blood pressure by age 60. Um, And just like berries are the healthiest fruits, greens, dark green leafy vegetables, are the healthiest vegetables. In fact, probably the healthiest foods, period, with a higher nutrient density than any other food. Um, so, for example, every daily serving of greens is associated with about a 20% drop in heart attack and stroke risk for each daily serving. Um, uh, but uh, and uh, and one of the reasons. So there's a variety of wonderful, healthy things in there. But nitrates, um, which found particularly in dark green leafy vegetables as well as beetroot, um, uh, arugula probably has the highest um, uh, uh, per gram level, is that these nitrates allow our body to more efficiently use oxygen. And so you hear a lot about like beet juice, the athletes using beet juice to improve their performance. Um, and there's also, and this is done in cycling trials and, and 5K runs and, and, and breath-holding deep dives and all sorts of just a fascinating literature on improving athletic performance by eating um, not just beets and not just beet juice, but whole beets, uh, the spinach. Um, uh, there was a study on frozen spinach that found the same amazing results. But as a physician, I'm less interested in young, healthy people, you know, getting a little edge on a 5K and more interested in people that really need that improved uh, blood flow, improved oxygen utilization, like people with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease like emphysema, or people with peripheral vascular disease or heart disease, 
And uh, indeed, or high blood pressure, indeed you do see um, the same kind of beneficial effects in terms of allowing a person's arteries to better relax uh, normally, uh, to dilate um, in response to, uh, to blood flow, um, something that is impaired, um, uh, relatively impaired in people with high blood pressure tend to have kind of stiffened, stiffened inflamed um, arterial trees. And so um, uh, people with... Um, uh, particularly people with heart disease or people at risk for heart disease, which is everyone since it's the number one killer of men and women, we need to eat dark green leafy vegetables every single day. Um, in fact, that's one of my daily dozen, which is kind of the, my daily recommendation for all the uh, healthiest foods. I encourage people to try to fit into their daily routine. Well, speaking of the daily dozen, the second part of the book, if we if we move out of the part of the book that is disease specific, you answer to the, you you try to give the answer to the question of what a day's eating would look like for someone day in and day out. So, tell us about the daily dozen checklist. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yes, uh, you know, I, I did want it to be kind of a reference book with the thousand citations, et cetera, but I also wanted it to be kind of a practical guide on translating this amount of data into day-to-day decisions. So that's what became the second half of the book, where I kind of center my recommendations around this daily dozen checklist of all the things I encourage people to fit into their daily routine, like um, uh, legumes every day, beans, blue peas, chickpeas, lentils, berries, the healthiest fruits, greens, the healthiest vegetables, specifically cruciferous vegetables, um, a tablespoon of ground flax seeds, a quarter teaspoon of turmeric. I talk about the best beverages, how much exercise to get every day, the best sweeteners. Just kind of go through the list and, uh, again, just kind of inspire people to try to um, remember to fit some of the healthiest foods into their daily diet as much as they can. And when we, we look back at the blood pressure section, you do mention things like flax flax seeds, which are in the daily dozen, and also uh, hibiscus tea, which isn't, but is, is specific to blood pressure. Can you talk a little bit about those and, and, what, and what they're doing? Sure. Randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials have shown that the consumption of a few spoonfuls of ground flax seeds a day can bring down blood pressure two to three times better than some of our leading blood pressure medications and only have good side effects, reducing our risk of breast and prostate cancer, controlling uh, cholesterol, triglycerides, blood sugars, reducing inflammation, curing constipation, recommend a tablespoon of ground flax seeds every day. Um, and d- hibiscus tea is actually part of my daily dozen. It's part of the beverages section. I um, My three favorite beverages is water and then green tea or white tea and then an herbal tea called hibiscus. Um, it was tested head-to-head against the leading blood pressure drug, um, two cups of strong hibiscus tea every morning. So that was actually, I uh, believe, uh, if I remember, five tea bags worth to make two cups of tea. So um, every morning was as effective as the drug, again, without side effects. Um, but... Um, I mean, they don't call it sour tea for nothing. There's another uh, name you'll hear it by. Um, so I encourage people to rinse their mouth out with water after drinking it so the natural acids in the tea just don't hurt your enamel. Um, and the only caveat with green tea is that if uh, you like to eat the tea, like use matcha tea, powdered green tea, or if you throw tea leaves in a smoothie or something, I'd recommend uh, sticking to Japanese tea as high levels of lead have been found in tea imported from China. Hmm. Um and tell us a little bit about the the traffic light system that you use to help people with uh, decision making around their their daily choices. 
Yeah, so that's kind of the other tool that um, I encourage people to use, which is um, splitting foods into green life foods, yellow life foods, and red life foods. And so green life foods, the foods I encourage people to maximize in their diet, are whole plant foods. And so um, uh, we're, uh, you know, talking, you know, fruits, vegetables, legumes, beans, leafy, chickpeas, lentils, whole grains, nuts and seeds, mushrooms, herbs, and spices, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. And then yellow light foods, which I encourage people to minimize um, in their diet, um, are um, is, is uh, processed foods and animal foods. So I encourage people to minimize their intake of meat, eggs, dairy, and processed junk. Um, and then red light foods ideally are avoided on a day day to day basis. Again, doesn't I mean it doesn't really matter what you eat on on, your, on a holiday or birthday or special occasion or something. But on a day to day basis, I really do encourage people um, to avoid the red light foods, which are processed meats. Um, and uh, what are called ultra-processed um, uh, 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 plant foods, which are basically junk foods like soda and cotton candy and that kind of thing. So you have one section um, in the book called How Not to Die from Iatrogenic Causes, and I think a lot of our listeners won't know what that means. Uh, I was hoping you could orient us to iatrogenic causes and also um, what are some of the things that you might touch upon in that section. Yeah, so um, so that's I mean it's, it's kind of like death by doctor. So actually, our healthcare system, um, for example, uh, you know, uh, adverse drug reactions. So you know, when people think of side effects from drugs, I'm talking about a little rash or something. Um, uh, our best estimates are prescription drugs kill 106,000 Americans every year, and these are adverse drug reactions. These are not like medical mix-ups, like they took the wrong drug or overdoses. This is just Side effects from drugs taken as prescribed, killing off more than 100,000 Americans every year. If you do the math, that means that the sixth leading cause of death is doctors. Like the sixth leading cause of death in the United States is us. Um, and that's why it's critical um, to, um, to you know, stay – now, I'm not telling people to avoid doctors. I'm telling people to stay healthy so that you don't need um, these kind of medical – um, procedures um, that do carry significant risk. Oftentimes, the benefits do outweigh the risk, but with significant risk, um, uh, best to avoid uh, completely. And we do that by um, by eating and living healthy. And it's never too early, never too late to start trying to clean up our lives. And, and can you speak a little bit to the section, the subsection of the iatrogenic causes where you talk about aspirin and salicylic acid and how actually salicylic acid is found in a lot of the healthy foods you're recommending and why that's yeah. relevant? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of an interesting... So, you know, aspirin, I mean, I think people may or may not know that, you know, aspirin came from willow tree bark. But it's actually aspirin, or the, the, the pro-drug, the, 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 what's turned into aspirin in our bodies, um, or, or what aspirin turns into in our bodies, um, the salicylic acid is actually found widely throughout the plant kingdom. It's like vitamin C, which is you know, basically found throughout um, plant food, some more than others. Um, and uh, we know that... Um, in certain circumstances, like if one's had a heart attack, low-dose aspirin may help by thinning the blood in terms of preventing a second heart attack, so-called secondary prevention. And in certain other circumstances, it may be beneficial. 
Unfortunately, um, there are uh, significant side effects, um, which is uh, kind of gastrointestinal upset. Um, so people, you know, people with something like uh, some inflammatory arthritis or something who are taking large doses of these anti-inflammatory drugs, the aspirin family drugs, can suffer um, uh, damage to their stomach lining, to their intestinal lining, which can, in very serious, rare cases, lead to even death from from uh, from bleeding in the in the digestive tract, uncontrollable bleeding. So. Um, so that's why, even though there are benefits to the drug aspirin um, in certain circumstances, we don't recommend everybody take it because of the downsides, because of the of the risks. Whereas um, uh, these, whereas we may be able to get similar benefits by getting salicylic acid in kind of the place getting aspirin the way nature intended, that is, in these foods. Um, and I talk about some of the some of the spices like cumin, which have uh, which are packed. Um, with salicylic acid, such that if you eat a really spicy kind of Indian meal, it's like taking a baby aspirin in terms of the levels of aspirin in your blood after doing it. Um, so, I mean, you can actually do, you can find aspirin in people's bloodstream, even in people that don't take aspirin if they're eating lots of healthy foods. And these are the same foods that are associated with lower risk of uh, of uh, some of the same kind of uh, you know adverse effects in terms of, uh, of the um, peptic ulcers and things like that. So it seems we we may be able to kind of get the benefits without the risk, kind of benefits with benefits, by getting our nutrients in um, you know as, as 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 in kind of food as grown. And this goes for kind of you know most of our nutrients. You know rather than get going getting our you know vitamins and minerals. In the, you know, the the supplement aisle, it's better to get them um, with almost, um, with uh, two exceptions in the produce aisle. So, Dr. Gregor, uh, if if people listening today, if their interest is peaked, is, is your website nutritionfacts.org the place you would point people to to find out more, or is there somewhere else you would recommend if they want to know more about the book and your your philosophical approach? That would be the way I wouldn't call it philosophical. <laughs> Scientific, evidence-based, <laughs> right? It's not, that's the problem with nutrition is that yeah. it's belief or opinion-based, right? right? Good As point. opposed to, well, let's just look at the science. Um, yeah, nutritionfacts.org. There are no ads, no corporate sponsorship, strictly non-commercial, not selling anything. Just put it up as a public service. Um, I, but I do have a cookbook coming out in December, the How Not to Die cookbook. I'm really excited about, and all proceeds I get from How Not to Die from the cookbook, from all my books, from all my speaking engagements, everything all goes to charity. Um, I just want people to eat and live healthier like my grandma. Well, it was great having you on Health Watch today. Happy to be here. We are talking today to Dr. Michael Greger, the author of How Not to Die. Uh, you've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.